from the Rose City in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon, home of bikes, books, bridges, beards, food carts, startups, and indie coffee. Grab your dog, snatch your hammer and beer, leave your umbrella at home. Welcome to the Tiny House Podcast. Wow. Welcome to the Tiny House Podcast. It's Perry. We are badass today. This is MJ. This is Mark. And uh, we have an in-studio guest today, but we're going to get to that later. By the way, someone contacted me on Facebook. They told me how much they adore our clap and our little intro banter. Um, They think it's the best part of the show, but you know. That's the first time I've heard anyone say that they adore adore the clap. adore the clap. (laughs) (laughs) Is this a personal experience story you'd like to share? Well, I could regale you with some of the treatments I've received when I was in the Marine Corps. (laughs) But let's not go there. (laughs) Oh, let's. (laughs) Not today. Okay. Yeah, not today. I got the look. Okay. (laughs) So what's going on? I'm busier than a one-arm wallpaper hanger. Nice. Yeah, Visual. I got, uh, yeah, I got the... Now we're going to hear from all the one-arm people. Exactly. Thanks, <laughs> Thanks for that. No, come on. They would agree that that's a challenging existence. Right? Being one-armed or being a one-arm wallpaper Being a one-arm wallpaper hanger. I would say it would be impossible. There you go. That is my life. No, it's not too bad. Um, you know, I got the Airbnb hostess hat on. Right? So I spend time, you know, cleaning the composting toilet from strangers. Not so woo Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Owning I, your own business is so damn glamorous. Exactly. <laughs> Just take a little bit of shine mm, out the rose there. Exactly. Um, and then I got my podcast hostess hat on, you know. I uh, set aside time to come and do this thing. Yeah. Um, I got a new pod, uh, not a new podcast, a new blogging gig <clears throat> now that I'm going to be writing oh, that's m- right. more consistently, whether I'm inspired or not. So yeah. bring on the red wine. <laughs> um, I still have my full-time job. Um, and so that takes up a fair amount of time. Uh, and right now I actually have two builds going on. Three, well, two and a half. I got a new sponsorship to build a shed. A new sponsorship? Yeah. Like beyond the one that we talk about? Correct. Wow. A she shed? Or yeah. Congratulations. Shed. It's she actually shed. just a regular shed, so it's mm-hmm. inspired by Relax Shacks. You know, I just got that oh, from yeah. Joshua Tree. Mm-hmm. I love the style of shed, and I really need a shed for my hospitality supplies and my hand tools. Oh, there you go. And uh, I really, really like the product that uh, Ondaline and Tough Text puts out, so I hit him up for a, for a shed sponsorship. So, uh, yeah. And they said yes? Yeah. Girl. <laughs> Makes me feel lazy. <laughs> I know. So I, I got you know I got my own tiny the 112 you know square foot tiny called my tiny hideout yeah. that's that's halfway done and and working on that again. Then the shed, of course, we're starting on that as soon as I get the materials for that. The the uh, floor plan, quote unquote, is already done. Mm-hmm. The sketch, kind of cute. And then I got my street build thing mm. project. The Street of Dreams one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That project is like also taking up quite a bit of my time. So yeah, you're full of shed. Very full of shade. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and on top of that, I found a brand new, very large patch of poison oak right next to the tiny. Good thing I didn't walk through that. Yeah. So uh, we did some branch clearing. We uh, took down 12 trees last week, I think it was. Oh, boy. 12 actual trees? 12 actual trees. Wow. So speaking of the non-glamorous part of hostessing. Um, Why it's did on you the, have to do that? Well, my rental's on a Christmas tree farm. 
um, some of the Christmas trees have died, oh. and so we try to take them out before they take us out yeah. because you know they get the the, yeah, roots, the roots get all dried up and everything. Up, yeah. yeah, so yeah. so we did a major project and took out twelve trees and a lot of underbrush and stuff like that. So that was a day's worth of work too. Lots of firewood. Yeah. So that's what's up. Very cool. What's up with you, Perry? What's up with me? Um, I'm looking forward to painting the interior of the space that I built that we won't talk a whole lot about. Right. It's very exciting. I've already picked the colors. What color? I've picked actually very manly colors, a dark blue, an orange, and a slate gray. Really? It's going to be a beautiful palette on the inside. Very Very cool. Very nice. Very nice. nice. Yeah. And a a chalkboard wash for the floor, a white chalkboard wash. Yeah. Hmm. It's going to be really... I'm really, the more I think about it, the more inspired I get. So I'm looking for summer to come around with some more hot, hotter temperatures and clearer skies so I can move all this stuff out and then get the place right. prepped. And then I think we're dry now for the next 10 days or something like that on the, on the, so if you're not mowing lawn <laughs> the next 10 days, <laughs> like the rest of us, my lawn is like two feet oh, tall. Boy. Like, oh boy. Like yeah. it's nuts yeah. right now. Yeah. So yeah. Speaking of nuts. <laughs> Here we go. Chuck for and nuts. Actually, nuts are all the people that agree to come on our podcast. That's, there you go. Good one, Michelle. <laughs> I don't have a sound effect for nuts. You should. Uh, Alexa, can you play us a sound effect for cracking nuts? <laughs> Sorry. I'm not sure. Oh. You suck. Oh, Alexa. <laughs> She's fired. Yes. She is fired. So. Bezos disappointed. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so um, we, we don't have Bezos in the studio, but we do have Jeremy from Tiny Innovations. And we, we had tried to get, I think we tried to get Jeremy in the studio Correct. the last time we He's had. He's just the, too damn busy. Yeah, mm-hmm. we got his, his minions. No offense, you guys. His minions on, <laughs> his into other, the studio. His, his other business half. There we go, his other business half. And um, we're happy to have Jeremy in the studio today. Welcome to the show, Jeremy. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> How's it going? How's it, go- <laughs> How's it going with you? It's going good. Yeah. He's a little overwhelmed. I am. Are you ready? Oh, okay. That's good to hear. So, yep. what's going on at, at Innovations? Well, we got a lot going on actually. Um, we are working on close to 200 builds that we're going to have to complete within the next 18 months, and wow. we're about to quadruple our uh, warehouse space. So wow. We're in the process of getting ready to move and uh, grow, which is a good thing for business. Where are you thinking of moving to? About five minutes down the road. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. So we're going to keep our current location as home base, and uh, then what we're going to do is we're going to actually do a uh, flooring line and uh, set up a complete factory. Oh, did you say a flooring line? Yeah. So, so like an assembly line? Essentially assembly line. Wow. Yep. No, I don't think anyone's doing that. Well, no, uh, Tumbleweed, I think, has got some semblance. They can do four at once, but it sounds like you're queuing up to do more than that, yeah? Yeah, we're going to be doing uh, hopefully 10 to 15 at a time. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So, so you thought I was busy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's a no-arm wallpaper hanging. Exactly. You have to use his mouth exactly. and I'm, shoulder blade. I'm flat out lazy comparatively, <laughs> right? And, and speaking of that, my dad actually has one arm. So, oh. 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 No. Ultimately, oh. I have actually watched him hang with one arm. So you have? It is possible. It oh is possible. But challenging. Absolutely. Right. Challenging, but he uses his nubble wisely. Oh, that's awesome. He uses what? His nub. I thought that's. His I nub. thought he said wisely. nubble. <laughs> it's it's wisely. whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Oh, that's crazy that I use that analogy. I isn't know it? it's interesting indeed. Da-da-da-da. I tried not to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> How did he lose his arm? Uh, chop saw. Oh. oh, he lost his whole arm. 
How? Yeah. Was he drunk uh, at the time? Was he? I wish. <laughs> <laughs> I bet he I wishes too. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, my dad was a long haul truck driver and essentially, make a long story short, uh, retired uh, due to an accident and then ended up going into woodworking for fun as a hobby. And uh, he actually got really good at it and was doing a lot of stuff. And um, one day he uh, did not have a good reaction to a medicine he was taking um, oh. because of the accident. And long story short, um, he actually passed out. <gasps> and his arm became a piece of wood. Oh. He passed out at the chop saw? Yeah. Oh, oh man. Yeah. man. And to make matters worse, he actually chopped it twice. Oh my God! True story. Oh dear. Yep. And then uh, oh, the only reason he's alive today is uh, he was actually in North Portland. And um, long story short, there was an ambulance at the McDonald's, which is like a block away from his house. No way. And when the way. call came in, they were able to get him into the hospital. Oh yeah. And then, Fast wow. enough. Yeah. Yep. And then they reconnected his arm, and three days later, it became gangrenous. And yeah. There it oh, went. crazy. How'd they find him? Who found him? Oh, uh, he actually walked into the house screaming for his wife, my stepmom, and uh, long story short, was squirting. Man. Oh. <laughs> in, a, in a bad way. In a, in a bad, in a bad way. way. <laughs> and uh, she literally freaked. I'm surprised she yeah. didn't pass yeah. out. Oh, God. And then uh, their hoarder is on right top now. of that, so <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> yeah. the ambulance couldn't even get into oh, the, uh, the back oh. garage where it was at. Wow. So my dad literally, arm and all, hanging by a thread, oh. had to essentially walk himself out to the front of the street and uh, get oh, to the hospital. Oh dear, boy, that makes <sighs> that makes Mark's injury this week uh, sound like nothing. What happened to Mark? Yeah, he chopped his uh, left middle finger this week. Chopped it off. You don't um, need that finger. Especially not with relation to uh, his communication with me. So two hundred plus homes on the on the um, on the slate. Mm-hmm. You're you are you build your own customs and yep. you also do white boxes. Is that correct? Yeah, we do quite a bit of stuff. So we do white label and we build for multiple different builders. And that was really the core foundation of the business. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ryan and I really wanted to take a twist on the whole aspect of tiny house building because we came from construction backgrounds. So ultimately, uh, we decided to um, cater and become essentially like the Costco of the tiny home business. And uh, you know, we don't believe in competition. We believe in that we can work all together. And work with others, and and the the business acumen was to team up with really good builders, people out there that you know had good business sense, uh, good design, knew what they were looking to do, and uh, that was the the core of growing the business. And then of course we do our own customs. Um, we're in the process of releasing um, six production lines ourselves, uh, models, and we have two out already. And that's the Catalina and then the Cayman. Um, and then uh, we do a lot of commercial um, builds as well. So the commercial builds are really nice because, you know, they're like big, big companies, corporate companies. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're fun projects. Not one is ever the same. Mm-hmm. And so we're busy. And then I hang out with people like MJ that are cool. <laughs> when he's Watch your middle finger. <laughs> exactly. So you said that you sort of set out to be the Costco of tiny house builders. So to put a finer point on that definition, if I understand correctly, what you're looking to do is being a source for uh, businesses and consumers, right? Correct. Does that make sense? Yep. Products, 
having products, being able to produce. Um, we're fortunate and with the growth, being able to have this new facility. Um, it's going to allow the expansion for us to do everything that we wanted to do. And so ultimately, you know, coming from a house building industry, it, it's very competitive. And I wanted to take that edge out of the... Wait a minute, the, wait a minute. Coming from the, the house building industry yeah, is competitive? Residential or the housing. Got it. Yeah, right, and right. so it, it was a very competitive market. And, you know, it's it's not fast-paced. You know, that market takes 6, 12, 18 months uh, start to finish. And so we really wanted to uh, come up with an idea that was going to both create a quicker turn time and a more efficient turn time, and more importantly, um, eliminate the, the mom and pops, the the big corporations, the the competition, and say, hey, we can all work together. We can work with you, not against you. And ultimately, it's a win-win for all parties involved. Hmm. So your um, Tiny Innovations is kind of a newbie, and the tiny house building industry is not all rainbows and popsicles. So how have you, I mean... Again, I think you started just last year, right? The beginning of 2017, right? Yeah, Yeah, so we were finishing our last home projects in the end of 15, uh, going into 16. And so Ryan and I decided to do the venture in late, late 15. And in beginning of 16, um, we set out the business plan. And then at the end of 16 um, was really our first build year. It was only really about a six-month year and 16 for us hmm. and then 17. So we've been around for about a year, year and a half-ish, right around there as far as the tiny homes go. So the real question I was going to get to is what have, what's been your biggest challenge? I think the biggest challenge is when you do custom tiny homes. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. I was going to ask. Know, there's, Seriously. There's a reason, and I give a lot of respect out there for some of the bigger builders that they have production models and they don't steer away from that or they do very limited option changes. And it's because it's very hard to gauge how much man hours and time and, and, and assembly and labor is involved. People don't realize what all goes into it. And for our business, it is essential that these homes are built right. We will never sacrifice the quality of the build. And so although we're not the cheapest, we really, really, really focus on how can we build that home from you know A to Z and build it right because that's our name. You know, that's our brand. And, and we take that serious. And then we're building for other builders, so we have even more of that uh, liability on our, our shoulders. And we want to make sure that we're putting out a good product for everybody. So let me ask a couple questions relative to that because I'm really curious about that that sure. statement you just made, not relative to your company specifically, but more to the movement in general, mm-hmm. the construction side of the movement anyway. First of all, um, so we know that there have been tiny house builders who've been sued for poor build quality. Absolutely. Yeah. And and we also know that some of those builders were relatively high-profile builders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so my honest question to you, and hopefully you'll provide an honest answer, is... Have you guys been sued for any sort of quality problems? Uh, for tiny homes? Yeah. No. For tiny homes. <laughs> residential Uh-oh. homes? No, I'll be honest. I'm just kidding. I'm I'm just resi- for the, the other thing. Twice. Recidivism. For tiny homes, we have never, ever been in litigation or any lawsuits. Have we had warranty claims and issues? That's Absolutely. That's and that's the learning thing, curve, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Right. Um, in the residential business, in the residential and commercial world, we had one litigation that we had to deal with, and, and that was a learning curve. And, and the learning curve from that was 
don't hire a contractor unless if you know every inch of that contractor yeah. because just because they have a license and a bond and they're insured yeah. and, and people think that that's the safeguard, it's really not. No. And right. so when you're counting on somebody else to basically do the work for you and it's your name and your ass on the line, mm-hmm. you know, you need to be there and be present every single day. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, there was a, a bad deal that happened in, in 15 and, you know, we, we chalked it up to a lesson learned. And, and ultimately, we decided that we would never do that again. And that was a huge reason why we went into the tiny houses, because we love design. We love uh, building. We love the, the whole acumen of what it is. Um, but there was no control for us. There was no ability because you have so many different people going in and out of those houses yeah. and subs and everybody else who's involved. And if one person messes up and that isn't caught, guess what? Yeah. You know, your, your, your name ass. is on the It's line. our ass. Yeah. And, and people think, okay, well, you have city inspections. Well, that's a no. joke because <laughs> the city inspector on the main issue that it was signed right off on it yeah, right. and said it and was fine. Yeah. And they're not covering your ass. They're yeah. not covering their own. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So we took that as if we were going to do this, our business model was going to be not necessarily build the biggest, baddest tiny house in the world. It's build the right tiny house and make sure it's done right at the end of the day. So and which gets me to the second question. Great segue. <laughs> I'm curious because a lot of it, the, the builders we've talked with have not been able to specifically answer this question. So what is it that you do with your builds that make them better quality builds? I mean, is it is it That's is, easy. Okay, lay it on me. <laughs> First of all, whatever you do a build, once the build's decided upon, whether it's a production model or <clears throat> it's a custom or whatever, you need to engineer the build. And this is where people have a tough time understanding the, the whole process. And, and I'm glad we can get this out there because it frustrates me. Um, we'll get clients all the time that will call us and it, they'll match us up on price points. And I try to explain to them, you pay for what you get. And at the end of the day, I'm not the most expensive builder. I'm definitely not the cheapest builder. But there's a reason we charge the, the, the prices we charge. And it's because we go through and we deal with our engineers. We make sure that the houses structurally to start are built correctly. Your trailers. People fight all the time about finding the cheapest trailer. And if you're going to do a side project or a fun project or a personal project Shed. and it's yours, <laughs> that's different. <laughs> but when you're going to put this out on a legal highway, a road, um, and you know you need to follow the DOT regulations and the requirements. You need to have a trailer builder that knows what they're doing. You need somebody who understands how to build trailers. You need somebody who gets the quality and the aspect of the trailers. And you know we had some bad trailer builders, and we didn't use those frames. And we realized that right out the gate. Inspecting, you got to inspect every aspect of your build. You have to inspect from your trailers, your weld points your hold downs, your tie downs, your framing, your waterproofing, everything. All of this is so essential in doing your builds. And with that comes time, money, yeah. good business practices, making sure that you're using the right materials. Um, you know, I, I have seen countlesses of tiny homes that, you know, they look great. It's yeah. like, it's like, uh, when you're out in the bar, you know, and you got the beer goggles on <laughs> 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 and you realize the reality. Yeah. And I've had some people who have, you know, shopped us and, and they look at our builds and they say, 
I love it, but I can't spend $70,000 and such and such down the street or, or in whatever state can do it for $15,000, $20,000 cheaper. And then literally I've gotten the calls. I wish we would have went with you. Really? Mm-hmm. And it's because mm-hmm. they realize some of the issues uh, that happen. Um, you know, I can list a, a lot of them, but things that are, you know, common sense things, weatherproofing, making sure that you're taking the time to properly weatherproof every aspect of it. We, we uh, really pride ourselves in that um, we build a subframe above our, our, our trailers. We don't build directly on the trailer frames. Really? Okay. And the reason we do this is we allow an insulating barrier for plumbing. And we did this because you can put plumbing in your walls, but if you're going to run your main lines and per you know RVIA codes and, and the regulations that we follow um, and, and where the drain points have to be, et cetera, like that, you need to make sure that those things are well insulated. And when you're running in those underneath the trailer with no subframe, you have very little to no insulation going in those. And so that is a very large fail point that can happen pretty much tremendously and very quickly. Um, and so we very quickly realized that if we use a drop axle frame and we try to gain the inches where we can. I'm sorry. Explain the difference between drop axle and whatever else is. So, <laughs> Deck over. Uh, you, you, have, you have basically three types of frames. You have a, a drop axle, a standard axle, and then you have a deck over. Um, a drop axle basically allows the suspension to lower and the axles to lower into the frame. Okay. Uh, so essentially you'll gain four inches pretty much, you know, three to four inches, um, which is crucial for a lot of people with lofts. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, your standard frame, you know, they're usually at about 27, 28, 29 uh, frame height. And the, the axles are basically um, set in place and suspended. They don't, mm-hmm. they don't move other mm-hmm. than just standard suspension movement. Mm-hmm. And then a deck over is where you don't have your, uh, your fender wells. And they're great. <laughs> I love them. No, they're fun because, you know, you have more space. You have more freedom on the build, but they sit the highest. And right. so ultimately, there's always going to be a plus. There's a lot of uh, design restrictions. And, and design hmm. restrictions, of course. So ultimately, um, going back to what I was saying with that, you know, depending on what you're doing with your builds, it's essential. And with the plumbing, like we were talking about, you know, if you don't insulate that well and you don't use the right materials, you know, at the end of the day, you're going to find yourself in a world of hurt. And, uh, you know, that's where I think a lot of builders make mistakes. Um, Contractors that, you know, they think you can move from the residential world or the commercial world and just become a trailer builder. Yeah. Mm. We took nine months to study. We studied all the ANSI codes, the RV codes. We wanted to make sure that we were building correctly and building right. Every time our RV inspectors would come in, um, we would make sure to sit down and talk to them and figure out what can we do better? What are we not doing? What is Airstream doing that is so much better than yeah. everybody else and they can charge yeah. what they charge they because charge they're the Michael Jordan of, yeah. of trailers. Yeah, yeah. And there's a reason because there's the quality behind it. And uh, you know, although we've made mistakes, although we've had to learn from those mistakes, it's I think the builders that don't want to learn they just want to build a cheap trailer and at the end of the day, get it out the door and make a few bucks and they don't care uh, you know, who they're harming or, or what they're harming. And that can go for so many different angles. I mean, <laughs> I've seen it all. Yeah, I think I have too. Or definitely, if I haven't seen it, I've definitely heard it. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. 
It, but it, on the flip side, however, I was looking at our list of guests, you know, that we've mm-hmm. had over the years. Mm-hmm. What is really interesting, too, is if you go through even the builders that we have interviewed, mm-hmm. you can go through and, like, check off the ones that aren't around anymore. Yeah, I know. That's um, why I was asking in, the question. In two years, yeah, yeah. In two years, this has been a... We, we've already seen the, the rotating door of mm-hmm. the builders that are coming in, and they got a big speech, and mm-hmm. then they... Uh, so, yeah, you're you're penciled in for another interview two years from now. Yeah. So let me... <laughs> I'll so be here. See, mm-hmm. yeah. We'll be here. So another related question to the quality is how, so the other thing that we experience with builders is that for the ones that are trying to do it right, it has been hard for them to make money at it. And you guys seem to be having no problem with that. So what is it? Well, maybe you are having a problem with it. (laughs) Too bad we're on podcast because you can see the face. So how are you guys guys doing that? (laughs) You know, it's... When you get into any business, you realize that if you are making money in the first couple of years, then damn, you're doing something right. (laughs) Um, You're not going to make money right out the gate. So I hate to say it, but who has the bigger pockets wins in that sense because there's going to be a lot of cash flow issues. There's going to be a lot of things that are obstacles you have to get around. And that is what truly defines who's a good builder and a bad builder. Because if you are trying to get around those issues, then you start skimping yeah. and you start taking shortcuts yep. because you're worried about how am I going to pay those bills or what am I going to do? Thank God we've had a, a really good run in the residential world and we took every bit of our profits, our investors and us, uh, Ryan and I, and we essentially, we, we put it all into the business. You know, We take a very modest draw monthly we pay ourselves we don't take bonuses we don't take any huge sums of money because we believe put every penny back in the business and let it grow because there will be a day that it is running and you know we'll go into that factory and there will be 20 30 40 homes a month going out and then yeah we'll be living comfortably but you do it for the right reasons Mm -hmm. everything else will come and follow behind it Mm -hmm. and for us you know it's been hard you know, learning the custom stuff uh, it was very challenging, expensive. Um, one thing that we do is I have an in-house accountant, so he actually gets with the CPA, and we do a PNL on every build. So I know That's where we've gone idea. wrong. Yeah, I know where we've gone great. I know where we've just barely made it. And we realize don't either duplicate or do that again if it's At a least situation. Not this quarter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. And for the builds that did go right, why did they go right? Mm-hmm. And that's the key. And so we have one gentleman in our office whose specific job is to simply monitor all the P&Ls against the actual builds and follow those numbers as close as a hawk because if you don't, what's going to end up happening is you're not going to know where you're spending what where and the next thing you know, you're out of business. Yeah, It's super interesting from a manufacturing background where I come from where cost accounting is king. That's really interesting. It's one of the things that I've also noticed in some of the other builders is um, they don't have purchase order numbers. like They don't you yeah. know keep track. And right. I'm like, how do you know at which point you're actually making money? Yep. And we so, actually have a sign that if you don't come with the receipt with the PL, you better write me a check. Because yeah. at the end of the day, it belongs to something. What does it belong to? Yeah. And if you can't do that, then either you're going to write a check or you're out the door. And I have to be like that because at the end of the day, it comes down to it's the client's money. Yeah, It's our money. And you know it, it can't just be spent freely. We have to make sure that we protect the interest of the money. We have to make sure that we protect the interest of the client, the business everything involved you know we're the judge jury and executioner here and so ultimately we have to you know wear our hats stay in our lanes and ultimately do the right thing 
And that's how you have a good business. Yeah. So before I ask the question, I'm going to remind you, you have something on your to-do list for a few months now. You're supposed to reach out to uh, Mr. Rowe uh, and let him know that he needs to come on the podcast. Mike Rowe? Yes. You know Mike Rowe? You made me turn my phone off. <laughs> <laughs> I might have his number. Okay. He did. They did a build for Mike Rowe. Oh, um, so my question is, um, so far, I think, you know, you've got a lot of great press, but you've also done some projects outside of the tiny house movement. Again, the, you did a great project for Mike Rowe. Um, you want to tell the tell us about that and how well it went? Yeah. Um, or didn't, actually? <laughs> it went well. We were commissioned. Um, and, uh, essentially long story short, we worked on a project that was, no one knew about, it was called returning the favor. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, it was going to be a small pilot. We were told maybe eight, 10 episodes, uh, one season at best. And, uh, you know, Mike Rowe is in between really gigs right now. And essentially he put all of his effort into this teamed up with, uh, Hudson media teamed up with Facebook, uh, Facebook live. And essentially, um, they came up with this concept to do a show that was based upon returning to the favor to somebody who is deserving in the community. So they've done something to stand out and they were nominated. And although we we didn't do the nominations on it, and I didn't even know who this uh, this organization was prior. Um, we were blessed to be able to be a part of the, the show, and we were asked, um, because we built tiny homes and because it was a Portland-based company, could we do a hauler and essentially transform it into a mobile workshop? And we were like, yeah. I mean, we just got done doing the doers build, and we just got done doing a bunch of other stuff. So this is easy. No problem. And uh, Mike came in, and we filmed with him for two days. Uh, essentially, we gave the trailer to the Girls Build organization. Um, and out of that, we really learned a large, valuable lesson. And uh, we made really good friends with, uh, with Katie Hughes, uh, who's the director over there. And, you know, we had a real soft spot because, you know, she's doing all of this for the right reasons. And, you know, her mission is to work with anyone in the female perspective in the, in the trades and essentially um, give everybody the tools, the learning, the understanding, the after school classes, the summer classes, and now the winter classes because she's grown so substantially from this um, and uh, teach women that they're just as equally as important as men are in this, in this industry. That project was really fun to watch. And the reason why I sort of suggested that it didn't go well is because after she took possession, um, I think it got vandalized or something, the project. And then they had to, again, sort of pick themselves up and dust themselves off and keep going. She's. It was a really, really inspiring episode. It was really, really... And I love Mike, like anything he touches. Um, so I have to say, um, yeah. So hopefully we'll have him on someday. So I have a speculative question for you. Sure. Speculative. How come Tiny Innovations doesn't have its own reality show like some others that we're familiar with? Well, I know those some others very I know, well. I know good <laughs> friends. I know you do. Um, at the end of the day, we've been on some shows. You know, We've done um, multiple shoots with HGTV. In order to do that, you would have to separate the <clears> business <throat> from the show. And essentially, if we decided, because we've been approached, if we decided to do it, it would have to be a situation that the timing is right. And ultimately, those builds and that show would be its own separate division. It would have nothing to do with Tiny Innovations as a company in production. Because the second you try to make it that, you're going to fail. Yeah, And it's because it's not 
anything you can help. It's the timelines of production, the amount of money that they're putting into you. Um, and although you get the, the, the great sense of fame and all of a sudden everybody in the world knows who you are and then you get the orders, what people don't understand is all the behind-the-scenes stuff that you don't see. And when you're shooting for 12 hours in a day and you're telling all the carpenters and workers, oh, stop. We yeah. can't have you work, yeah. and you're doing it in the same environment. It doesn't work, mm. so mm. it would have to be separated. And you know, maybe down the road when we do have the facility, and then we have the headquarters, is what we're going to call it, mm-hmm. off of Gleason. You know, maybe we do do something, but ultimately, our success is going to come from being the support to all of the builders that choose to work with us in, in a fashion of building with them. Yeah. And uh, we're a very transparent company. So my builders that we work with all know what we charge. They could all talk in a, in a bar together and they would say, hey, what, by the way, what are they charging you? And the number would be the same number every single time across the board. And it's because we figured out that's the percentage we need to make. Mm-hmm. If we make that percentage per build, we can pay the bills and we can be ahead. And that's the key. And it's not a large percentage, but it's a percentage that is worth our time to do it. Mm-hmm. And then let our builds be our bread and butter for what we do. Mm-hmm. Really interesting approach. So I think basically that, you know, the people that go into the reality TV business in the tiny house world, not n- n- whether they have their own series or not, I think that the real condition or the real issue is that it's an inherent conflict of interest. It, I mean, just going into yeah. it because the television show is all about looking really, really good mm-hmm. and, um, and, drama. and and you know yeah. creating yeah. artificial drama yeah. and you know um, pushing through a process that really needs to be way more meticulous and way more you know um, time consuming and and it can the devil's in the details yep. and unfortunately the television production companies and the television shows. Um, as they're produced now, anyways, they don't, you know, they don't, they don't focus on that stuff. Mm-hmm. They'd rather create the drama rather than pay attention yeah. to the d- details mm-hmm. that create drama after the, the cameras have been boring. turned off. Yeah, right. yeah exactly. No one um, on camera wants to have the nail versus screw debate, unfortunately. Yeah. But yeah. I'm nope. still, I'm still lobbying for that to happen. I would do it. I'm not afraid to be transparent. I think it would make for good TV because then you'd see the real reality yeah. behind it. Because you would be shocked. I mean, what she in speaking of what Michelle's talking about, I've been on shoots where they won't even shoot the backside of the tiny home because it's not even sighted. And people don't realize that. They really? think the house is finished. <laughs> really? And it's wow. not finished. <laughs> and there's a reason they stage those houses because they're hiding all the holes and, yeah. the, and the open areas yeah. and spots that aren't even done and completed. And so yeah. And the plumbing's not done. They just set yep. the toilet in place, right. but yeah. it's not hooked up. Yeah. And right. the, there's no heat. And, the, and that's you know? the problem. The show doesn't care. And there are yeah. vital mistakes that I've seen because we mm. also do repair work too. Oh. So we have another aspect of what we do. And although it's not our main bread and butter, we do do repair work and essentially, um, we we have seen where they haven't even done the venting or the plumbing correctly, the electrical collect- correctly, and then now we're opening walls, and then it gets expensive, yeah. and that's how you lose money. Yeah, you can't do this twice. You do this twice, you're out of business. Yeah. So so okay. So you come from building million dollar homes, is that right? We built everything. Oh, you we, did. We our largest <laughs> home that we built today was almost a two million dollar house. We ended up selling it for one five. It okay. was worth probably about one eight one nine. Okay. Um, and it was in a historic neighborhood of recall. And, uh, you know, we we painstakingly spent 18 months building that property. And uh, it won a lot of awards, accolades, a lot of builders that do a lot of the um, 
semi-custom to custom builds, you know, really noticed what we did and appreciated it. Um, and then we've done, you know, $150,000, $200,000 little flippers. Was the, was the $2 million house a spec home or did you build it, it for was something? Spec. Was that oh, for it was the, all spec. Mm-hmm. Was that, 100% spec. Was that for the street? Nope. No, oh. not in recon. Nope, not at all. So, mm. so my question then is, are you, is there any contemplation of a million dollar tiny house? We are doing a five. I knew it. I knew you were getting close. <laughs> I knew you were getting close. So who's who? Not who. What is what? So he probably it's probably commercial build. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. It's a commercial okay. build. Most expensive residential yeah. build to yeah, date. Yeah, yeah. One seventy. One eighty. Oh, okay. Um, and then was this, that for the HGTV show? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> Talk about losing money. <laughs> uh, great couple, though. But uh, <laughs> moving right so along. Much fun. Right so on. much fun to lose money. Um, the um, actually marked that up to marketing. There you go. It's a good write-off. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the the commercial build we are in the process of doing right now will run about four fifty five hundred. What is, is it a is it a home or is it more like a, a it's product a, showcase? It's facility. a showcase yeah. of what this company is, and uh, you know we can talk about it after summer because I'm under a very strict no problem <laughs> yes. right now because yeah. this is going to be the first of its kind. Ever. I'm, just, I'm just curious. So the, the the expense at that level is mostly what? Is it quality services or is it quality build or both? Or it's what? everything. Technology? So it's it's um, y- you can't mess up on this build. Yeah. Um, the, this is a very very large corporation, and ultimately it will turn into five different builds all at the same caliber. So this will be you know close to a two million dollar contract, two and a half million dollar contract when it's done. However. They expect it done right the first time, right. and so we've had to put contingencies in for some of the items that they've asked us to do that have not been done before, and it's going to take calculations, engineering, even with that, putting it in and then realizing there's mistakes and working those mistakes out prior to ever delivering yeah. that unit. And then it comes with us basically being their roadie. So essentially, mm-hmm. if they call us and they're in New York or they call us and they're in San Francisco and there's an issue... We're getting on a plane. And we're roadie. dealing have with to, the yeah. issue. I have roadie stories. Um, <laughs> keep your roadie stories. Yeah. We're talking about tiny houses here. <laughs> we're not talking about Texas. <laughs> no, we're not talking about Texas. So, okay. And then what is the least expensive tiny home you built? Um, 37 and change. Hmm. And who, um, what was that Surprisingly, one? I haven't done any shells yet. We market them. Um, a lot of people, I think, realize after they get into it, it's not easy. Yeah. Once yeah. I turn a shell over, they don't realize all the placement points and what so needs to be. So they bring it back to you? And yeah, say, they we bring it back. Our mind. I had one order for it? a shell, and, and then when they saw it at our shop, they were like, finish it. <laughs> <laughs> this is overwhelming. Yeah. And so, and I encourage that because it's not about price point. We'd actually make, honestly, larger profit margins to just build shells yeah. and get them out the door. Right. And they'd yeah. be built in three yeah. to five days yeah. and be done. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, I have to be honest and have integrity and tell clients, hey, if you don't know how to do your plumbing or you don't know how to do your electrical right, you don't have your slopes correct, your drains correct, oh, your yeah. placement correct, you are going to have issues uh, regarding this. And so, um, you know, our, our, our cheapest one to date uh, was for a disabled vet out of New York. And mm. so we actually donated about 15 grand. So I, I say 37 because that's what they paid. And we were in it for like 40, I want to say almost 49, 50,000. Then I delivered it for free. Mm, interesting. Mm. So we, we try, you know, we, we try to give back where we can mm-hmm. ultimately. 
You know, and those are the things I think that people recognize. And then, you know, doing the, the micro, returning the favor, the HDTVs, we did those things strategically because they're one-off moments. Yeah. We know what we're going to lose or gain at that point. Yeah. And we realize you got to get your name out there somehow. You right. got to have some kind of marketing. You got to have some kind of presence in the business. Right. So that's why we choose, you know, our, our projects carefully when it comes to those types of things. So I was, I was, I think it was your partner that we were talking about this. I th- I think we were asking a question about the innovation aspect of tiny house building, and he was talking about the potential of using steel studs or aluminum studs or whatever the metal studs are, and he was talking about how difficult that would be to like affix things to. And is is are you guys having that conversation like innovative ways instead mm-hmm. of using sticks to build what other things that you other materials that you're using to build tiny houses? We are. I mean, there's a lot of innovative products. Um, you know, we've teamed up with the Canadian company and a European company as well that build tiny homes that want us to build here in the States. And, you know, they build completely different techniques that I'm not against. However, it's the learning curve. Mm-hmm. And how much money do you put into that learning curve? Because I got to warranty it. And you know the reference that Ryan was making about metal building is people think it's automatically 33% lighter. Yeah. That's the word I hear. It's not true. It's not 33% lighter. It's about 20, realistically, mm-hmm. by the time it's all said and done. However, you have to have some kind of cross-supporting to those metal studs because when you are hanging cabinets or anything that's any remotely heavy custom um, that needs tie down and anchor points, lofts, etc. That framing uh, heavily relies on its sister joists or the 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 subframing next to it. And and when you're hanging on metal, um, metal has a lot more contortion flex. It has um, a lot less rigidity. And so I think the comment that he was making is is it is hard to affixate things. And mm-hmm. so multi, you know, ultimately you have to either put in um, wood cross supports, um, additional you know, tripling or quadrupling up that area if you're going to hang cabinets or whatever it's going to be. And then it becomes a time thing. Mm-hmm. You know? And I know that you can go to like Volstruck and you can order a, a kit. But yeah. the problem with that is, is I don't know one tiny home I've done yet that things haven't changed in it. Even in the production models, right. things change. And all of a sudden, if you've got to change a window oh, placement, you're screwed. You yeah. order that Volstruck kit, it better yeah. be built to spec because that is built with all of your, your cutouts, your openings, and it is what it is. Um, and then it, it becomes an issue of like your trailers. People don't realize if you go to a different trailer manufacturer and he moves that f- uh, fender wall frame three inches you know, to the north or south, all of a sudden, you were expecting it to be where the last trailer frame was, and it's not. Oh, and then now, all of a sudden, the kit's worthless. Yeah. And you're making modifications and changes, and that gets costly, Yeah. Um, ultimately. And then there's more cost to it. You use the SIP panels. It's more cost. And then really? I've got to explain mm-hmm. that to the clients that, yes, you can do these, but here's why the costs are higher than doing the stick build. So you're a major proponent of the stick build. I am. At this point. Yeah. I mean, but we're not against anything. We're yeah, open you. to looking at uh, all options. But let's be real. You look at Portland, for an example, and the houses that are, were built in the late 1800s and early 1900s that are still standing. What are they built out of? Right, right. Real wood. Yeah, yeah. 
So before we close the show, yeah. I know we're starting to wrap it up, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah we are. <clears throat> really? Before we close the show. <laughs> I, I know. know, it went fast, didn't it? We always yeah. <laughs> say that. We always say that. So before we close the show, he made the comment about um, being really particular about the projects that he takes on and also being really particular about getting involved in projects that are paying it forward. So I want to thank Jeremy for uh, agreeing to be my, my builder hey. for the Street of Dreams build. Right on. We Obviously, I bet the audience already figured out that there was no fucking way I was going to do the whole <laughs> yeah. thing by myself in four months, right? <laughs> like, for as much as I'm very proud of my abilities, I know when where my where my strength lies, and uh, nailing together two by fours is not it. So, <laughs> and even Mark, you know, we d- we just don't have the bandwidth to do it. So, Jeremy, I want to say th- thank you very 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 much um so far everything's going really well and and i appreciate your stepping out that's again that's going to be an interesting project when it gets all done but uh i appreciate your uh, optimism how's that well we're here for you and we're honored and we appreciate ultimately that you chose us and you know we have your back yeah remembering our heroes is a uh, is the uh the the benefactor of this house and and so we're gonna be doing a lot of promotional materials for them going forward so awesome. we have our own vet build which is cool pretty cool yeah. pretty cool i thought you were gonna choke there for a second well i think i did too yeah exactly <laughs> choke up here Get in the corner there. well there you have a tiny house uh, podcast listeners another great show uh with a great guest thank you so much for being on board with us today jeremy thank, thank you. you nice to have you on board and i'm sure we'll have you again in three, absolutely a couple of years maybe yeah, See we had, we, have, we have to have him circle yeah, back and tell us that he's still around. <laughs> That's, yeah. exactly right. That's exactly right. <laughs> Either that or we get in such an argument that he never wants to see me again. <laughs> there so. you go. Well, there you go. <laughs> I, think, I, guess. <laughs> I, I don't think that'll ever happen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Tune in next week. We'll have another great show and we appreciate your patronage coming in taking a listen to us. Thank you, Rick McNerney, for making us sound fantastic and uh, thank you to my co-host for making us sound fantastic in terms of being smart and asking smart questions. Well, hey, uh, Mark, I have a question for you before we go. Uh-oh. How yeah. many platforms are we now distributed on? Oh, mm, close to 11. Yeah. yeah. We're doing yeah. good. So like any place that anyone would want to go to look for a podcast, we're there now. We're there. We're, there. we're everywhere. So Google Play, right? Yep. Google Play. Spotify. 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 Tune iTunes. Tune in radio, yeah. iTunes. Everywhere. Awesome. We get awesome. it all. See y'all. Namaste. Be good. Thank you for listening to Tiny House Podcast. To find us online, go to tinyhousepodcast.com, where you will also find our show notes, if you remember to put them there. Our logo was designed by the amazing Carolyn Maine. Our website is hosted by the gang at Sightcast. Our theme music is by Oma Studio. Please go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating, or whatever. You tiny house-loving bastard. Tiny House Podcast is probably made in Portland, Oregon.